This is County Fire Insight for Tuesday, April 20th, 2021. San Bernardino County, thank you for joining me. We're really excited about today. Tracy's in the background. She's trying to get me to do some sort of good afternoon County Fire. But we're happy that you're joining us right now and uh, wanted to provide you a brief update on the budget. First, I want to thank everybody that sent in questions over the last uh, month continually to us and just telling us, hey, this is a coffee table talk. Uh, it's important. And I always tell a story, the last time I was really a captain, it was like in 2008, and I really enjoyed being a captain. I thought I was a good captain. But now, so many years later, if I made decisions um, based on what I knew in 2008 for a company officer, they would be very bad decisions. And so how do we stay in touch? That's the information coming up the chain. So this is one of the, the ways that you can communicate to us. For this particular event, we're showing you an infographic with a, cell, with a cell phone number on it. You can text your questions. That'll go to Tracy Martinez. You can also send her emails. Whether this is live or not, you can always send those questions in or text her. And then you can put live questions in the chat. We'll be happy to answer them uh, before we end this. Department update uh, the budget. Seems to be a lot of questions there. We have FP5. Uh, we were successful against the repeal, so why aren't we opening more for fire stations and more staffing? I want to remind everybody that in every single presentation we did, whether it was Chief Hartwig, Chief Trapp, or myself, we always said that FP5 gets us closer to being whole. It doesn't create any new money. And in fact, when FP5 was going to be repealed, we often said that this would be closure of fire stations. FP5 doesn't create any new revenue. The way we create revenue is, is better management by uh, looking at the wildland camp to increase the revenues, to increase revenues in EMS. And uh, obviously we have FP5 that hopefully will increase 3% per year. That's a policymaker decision for supervisors. I support that. As a matter of fact, we're demonstrating the need that we need that 3% to increase every single year uh, property tax. This year as we're building our budget, we had to make some assumptions. So the assumptions that we made is that FP5 increases 3% and that property tax increases 3%. Now, some people may say, well, property tax is definitely increasing more than that. But remember, home sales and the percent that property tax increases, there's a small disconnect. The inventory of houses that are being sold, it's really a small turnover compared to all the houses that are for sale. And so we need to see a higher turnover of the houses over a longer period of time to really increase the property tax that's money that's available. However, we did anticipate 3% property tax. I'm gonna guess that that's pretty accurate and that brings in additional $3.1 million into the district. Between FP5, that increase in property tax, the general fund support, we're anticipating receiving almost $17 million of general fund support. Uh, we're, we're able to present a balanced budget. At the end of the year, there's not millions of dollars left. There's very little that we're anticipating and in going into reserves. We're spending every available dollar planning on increasing staffing in the future, paying for what we have right now, our capital replacement, our apparatus replacement, um, and, and covering the, the great negotiations that 935 did, which uh, is important to make sure we're taking care of our employees. So not a lot of, of extra money there at the end of the day. Now, our budget was just inputted into what we call the enterprise SBP, SBP system. We're waiting for a lot of factors to come back to see that our assumptions are approved and that um, we did in fact present a balanced budget. When that budget's approved, 
We'll come back and we'll present that a little bit better. We'll give you some graphs, we'll give you some slides. As a matter of fact, we'll give you the information on how much we're spending per division and the amount of revenues we're collecting in the division. But I, I think it's important to me that everybody has a great understanding of our budget. It's good for succession planning. It's good, um, well, it's good, good situational awareness for everybody in this fire department. Regardless, our commitment is to increasing staffing in our underserved areas, in our areas that are running, well, Yucca Valley Station 41 is running 5,500 calls. I remember when I first started, it was 2,800 calls. Here in San Bernardino, we have fire stations that are pushing 7,000 calls. Out in Baker, we have a fire station that's responding an hour and a half by itself. Well, those are needs that we need to meet. We're gonna continue to do our job and make sure we're managing this district and putting it in a place where we can increase staffing. We've talked about Safer Plan before, uh, the Safer Grant and phasing in staffing, that's gonna be important. So this year we applied for the Safer Grant positions for those, those uh, units that we identified, one in Hesperia, one in San Bernardino, one out at Havasu Lake, and uh, to make the, the, the Brush Patrol in Hellendale whole. Next year we'll do the same thing. We'll submit for Safer Grants and possibly we'll submit for squats, but it's gonna to have to be an incremental approach to budgeting at the same time. We need to look at fiscally managing this department correctly to get us to the point where we continue to ensure that uh, we, have, we have the money to continue to pay a good wage and to ensure that we have full-time staffing at this fire department, especially in those areas that need additional staffing. I wanna thank you all for your patience as we go through this. I know uh, my whole career, we've needed more staffing and I've waited and waited and waited and, and sometimes it just takes a long time. Now that I'm in this position, I'm realizing how many factors are in place, how many assumptions there are and how important it is to really focus on the good management. Speaking of good management, I've asked uh, Shane Glaze to be here. I'm gonna introduce him in a second, but he's gonna talk a little about the Wildland Camp, some of the great things that they're doing, possibly touch on some of the revenues. As one of our performance measures this year, I asked Shane Glaze to cover how much? 4.7? 4.7 million dollars in revenues, which makes the camp self-sufficient. Uh, to date, we've, um, we've never had that as a focus. We did really well last year with getting, our, with getting Old Cajon out and they, those guys working their, their bottoms off and having Joe Barna and, and Ryan Webb, uh, Diane Mendez do a lot of our collections for us. The contracts that we had in place with Land Use Service, all of that helps. But we're also increasing the size of the camp with uh, Crew 7, which I'm sure uh, BC, or, excuse me, Division Chief Glaze will talk about, and staffing for the heavy equipment. Before I ask Shane to come up, I've asked Battalion Chief Wachowski to be here. And Mike's going to talk about a couple of things that are important to the organization. We always talk about secession planning. Um, we've sat there for years and we've said, hey, when's secession planning going to happen with me? CICCS is an important part of that secession planning. Mike's our expert, he's always there, he's ready to answer your questions. So if we could talk about that and a little bit about wildland training and some opportunities for our folks to get engaged. Sure. So um, our department works under the California Incident uh, Command Certification System. I made some notes here, so if I look down. Uh, it, and we go out of the 2018 guidebook. So we utilize the taskbook system. And I know a lot of you are familiar with some of the taskbook systems, and this is no different than some of the taskbooks that you do. So I want to talk about the different positions and uh, what, what's required and kind of the, uh, the different uh, ideas of who uh, needs what training and for their next uh, position that they do. So for a firefighter, a journeyman firefighter, they take the tower and then they become firefighter 
2s. Now these are NWCG. There's a difference between NWCG firefighter and state fire marshal firefighters. They're kind of swapped around. So the NWCG firefighter 2 is the basic firefighter. When they go to the tower, they receive that certification. They open a task book for a type one firefighter, that's NWCG, and they're expected to complete that prior to the end of their probation. So as far as an engineer position, so when you're an engineer you, position, you wanna work on your engine boss. So you wanna open your task book as an engine boss trainee, and um, you can uh, start working on your task book that way, looking to try to get signed off sometime in your tenure as an engineer, or when you just become a captain. So as far as the captain, though, we want you to work on your engine boss qualifications. Uh, that's a requirement. And uh, you, before you get signed off as um, your probationary period as a captain, you have to have an open task book for engine boss. We're hoping that you get qualified as that position when you're a captain. Also, IC type four, you need to open your task book for that and uh, also try to get your strike team engine trainee task book open for that so you can start working on that. Now battalion chiefs are a little bit different. We expect them to become uh, strike team leader qualified uh, after a short period of time or when they uh, go into the position. Also division supervisor to work on their task book for that. And then also some of the, some of the uh, our administrative and our uh, floor battalions they have different positions that they can work on, like in logistics, plans, finance, operations. And so they can become either our type three team members or team members on an incident management team. Last year due to COVID, I only taught three classes. The year before that, I caught, taught 11 classes. This year I'm on track to do nine. Um, one of the things I want you to, to, to study is to download, print, and download, download and print this um, guidebook. You can Google it and uh, you can find it. It's the 2018 edition. And you can read that, what that, and you notice what I told you as a firefighter and an engineer that I didn't really go through all the specific classes that you need. Those are all in the guidebook of what classes you need, uh, required training, and you can go through those in, go through step by step, get those training classes, and then uh, open your task book once you've completed those classes. Two quality assignments CICCS requires for you to be qualified in that position. We have a lot of, uh, a lot of people moving up and doing things, getting qualified. We're very busy. I probably initiate on the, uh, I think maybe five to 10 task books a month during fire season. So. We're really busy with uh, doing task book and training. Um, I'm on track to teach nine classes this year. So uh, that's kind of the, uh, the synopsis of the training and how we do it. If you have any questions, please contact me and uh, I'll be able to answer all your questions. So that's all I got. Shane? Before I have uh, Division Chief Glaze come in, a little bit more about succession planning. Education is important in the fire service. And I'm encouraged by how many of our folks are taking that opportunity. Wanted to take a minute and talk about the National Fire Academy. Those of you that uh, have heard about it, it's a great experience. It's free. You can go to the National Fire Academy website, just Google it. They have one or two week courses. The department's happy to sponsor your time there. Taking the opportunity to travel to Emmitsburg 
is important in the fire service career. They have a developing officer program for company officers and they have the executive uh, fire officer program for battalion chief and above. Both are great tracks. The second opportunity that I'd like to mention is the Naval Postgraduate School. Those either have undergraduate degrees, bachelor's degrees, uh, the Naval Postgraduate Schools offers three free master's degrees. They also offer an executive track and several different standalone classes. That's in Monterey, California. It's a little bit closer. Same scenario. They, uh, they pay for the room, the board. They actually give you a stipend to eat and you get a great quality education. So those are a couple of opportunities uh, that's important as we're growing the organization. And th thank you, Chief Wachowski, for everything you do on the wildland side and developing our fire department. We are absolutely proud to, to have WACO working for us. Um, thank you. You've definitely made our fire department better. Division Chief Glaze. Hi, everyone. Uh, a couple things I want to talk about. First is uh, what Chief Wacko was talking about with CICCS. Uh, if you have any questions at all, feel free to reach out to Mike, and uh, that's, that's what he's here for. A big portion of his job is to, to help us get through that CICCS process, and if, if you want to be a FOBS, or if you want to be a, a strike team leader or division group supervisor, and you're thinking about that now, get a hold of Mike now, or shoot him an email, and he can help you through that process. Um, you know, I look at the CICCS uh, training priority list, it, it's getting pretty slim. We're, we're down to about 10 personnel for strike team leader. Uh, we've got a couple battalion chiefs left and we have about five captains left on that priority list. So as, as, as the ACs and the DCs are doing that, uh, the weekly uh, countywide coverage, we need to plug in a strike team leader for a primary and a secondary every day. And we try to get a trainee. There's days we can't find a trainee. So if you're interested, there's a series of classes you'll need to take. Uh, please tie in with Chief Wachowski and, and you can get that going. Another thing we could do uh, with Division 13 is we could come out and, and assist you as, as an engine company or as a battalion or a division to do training. I recently received an email last week from uh, Fire Captain Brett Marshall out at Station 22 if we could send our crew and dozer up to uh, their division training for their RT-130. Perfect. That's what we're there for. So please reach out to myself or Mike Wachowski and let us know if there's any training we could do to help you guys uh, be more proficient in wildland training and becoming better wildland firefighters. The other thing I want to talk about is the Dozer Academy. We're currently hosting the Dozer Academy. It's a U.S. Forest Service Region 5 Dozer Academy. Region 5 is the state of California. Uh, we typically, this is our, our third time hosting the Academy, but we're actually uh, presenting and teaching the Academy for the first time. So we have uh, 28 bulldozers assigned, uh, 28 dozer operators and 15 swampers from across the West Coast, including Illinois and Texas. Um, we have our, our Heath Hammonds, uh, who is currently a DZIOP, and he'll be signed off, hopefully, if he passes the academy with his DZIA, which allows us an additional person uh, to become a dozer operator. So uh, we'll be teaching that up at fire camp. It starts uh, next Monday. Classroom is the first week, uh, Monday through Friday. We roll through the weekend on some field exercises. And the following week, we'll start burning up in the Las Flores Ranch area. We have uh, asked for the BDC Zone 3 uh, Type 3 strike team with the strike team leader. So some of you guys will see you out there for the training burns. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing you there. Have a good day. We have one question regarding wildland training. Chief Wachowski, 
come up regarding RT-130 and how's the department preparing for that and rolling it out? Yeah, RT-130 for the floor, uh, they have on target solutions, they can log in and they can uh, follow a checklist. They write down the checklist and um, do all the, all the items and then uh, they'll be good to go. Then uh, the other one we teach is we teach an RT-130 for non-firegoer class. What that does is it gives real basic information so like uh, mechanics or office people can go into fire camp, they know where to go. If they're around a fire environment, they know how to be safe and it's real, uh, real basic for that. But um, as far as the RT-130, the requirement for, um, for, uh, for the RT-130, they don't really have a requirement so we make our own every year. We try to change it up a little bit. Uh, sometimes we talk about uh, require you to do certain things and other things. Um, things like human factors and fire line and stuff that we really need to look at. I mean, we all know how to lay hose. We all know how to cut line. We know how to uh, get into a fire. But there's also different uh, factors, and I try to move into those. So if you follow that RT-130 on Target Solutions and complete that, then you'll be done with your RT-130. Contact you or whoever does your red card and uh, they'll be able to um, um, update your red card. So that's all. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of conversations about fire stations, why we're not replacing fire stations. We had to take a tactical pause there as uh, FP5 was under repeal. We've been moving very rapidly towards getting to where we need. And I'm going to ask Chief Washington to come up and update us on that. Thank you, Chief. Good afternoon, County Fire. Uh, happy to just give you a little bit of update on where on where we are. Uh, again, Station 226 has been uh, our first focus, and uh, where we are with that at this particular point is again we already have the CIP approval, so we have the funding uh, for that station re re rebuild. Uh, two, we're working on the design, so we've had some preliminary meetings uh, with the potential architect. And what uh, Real Estate Services is working on now is uh, preparing that information for the Fire Board's approval. And so we're expecting that to be before the Fire Board within the next 30 days. It, 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 it uh, should go within the first two weeks of, uh, of May. And, um, and then that will give us the launching point of where once we have the authority and approval to move forward with, with the design, then that's where you'll see some uh, movement happening uh, very, very rapidly, or at least rapidly, relatively speaking, for the construction process and the architecture and design, which takes place before that. Uh, but along those same lines, uh, we also have a CIP approval for the Rosina Ranch Station. And so what has happened uh, lately regarding that uh, and really what the hold has, has uh, been in that process beyond the FP5 is that we had to find a parcel. We had to find a lot. We had to find a place to build that fire station. So again, the funding is in place. Our biggest challenge is where to build. And so recently uh, working with Chief Birchfield and, uh, and, and others, uh, we've been able to identify a potential place to uh, build that station. And so we have real estate services uh, staff working with uh, other city staff beyond the county to see if we can make that happen and become a reality. 
And if that occurs, then that station will uh, come right in line with what we're doing with 226. And then also there's 227. And so 227, uh, we do not have uh, the CIP approval to fund that station yet, uh, but that we are on the heels of it. Uh, the fire chief and real estate services and others are putting together documents uh, in order to brief the fire, you know, fire board and the uh, CAO. And so uh, those processes are happening very, very quickly. Uh, again, working with Chief Mejia, uh, working with the city of San, of, uh, San Bernardino. Uh, we're finalizing some options of uh, where that's going to be built. Again, if it's going to be built on the current lot or if it's going to be built in a better location. And so we feel really optimistic regarding those discussions. Uh, so those are things that are happening. And if I could throw in just one other item, uh, you know, we're looking at $7 million and the station footprint that we're looking at is 7,000 square feet for seven beds. So with those three sevens, uh, I think we're in a pretty good position if I can just kind of throw, throw that out there. Uh, so that's, that's what's happening with those fire, you know, fire stations. Again, you have 226, 227, and Rosina Ranch. Again, to expedite that uh, pro uh, process, our uh, plan is to build the same station design and hopefully be able to uh, bid those out, uh, maybe even under one con contractor to get it done very, very swiftly. So beyond that, uh, I also wanted to mention just some new things that came out from the county. And so you may have seen uh, the county put out a new social media policy and it's number 09-04. So if you have not seen that, we would encourage you strongly to take a look at that. Uh, the county is tracking all the employees uh, throughout the county in special districts to confirm uh, who has received that policy. It is just a little bit different than our existing social media policy within County Fire. And so we'll, we'll be working to make sure that those are in perfect alignment. Uh, but, but generally what that policy just talks about, uh, especially for the personal use, oftentimes people are not sure what they can post or do on social media on their personal accounts. And one thing that this policy talks about is you may not open up any type of social media account with your county email address. So that you cannot do. And then another big takeaway from it is just that any of the policies that you're held accountable for as an employee, uh, using your social media, your personal social media, there are some that you could be held accountable for. Uh, also as a county em employee, even though it's your personal page and it's on your personal time. So again, we would just encourage you to look through that policy and make sure that you're up to date. And if you have any questions, please let us know. This is to protect uh, not only you, uh, but also county fire and the public that, that we serve. So thank you. Thank you, Chief Washington. We had one question on Rosina Ranch. I think I'll just take it real quick, which was, why wasn't the builder required to build a fire station? So Rosina Ranch, uh, don't quote me on the amount of years that I'm thinking seven years ago, when it was developed, that was part of the plan. The builder was supposed to build a fire station. I wasn't involved in those conversations, but what I understand uh, that happened is the county fire said, we're not ready for the station to be built um, seven years ago. And I, I could guess that it was probably the ongoing cost of staffing is why that decision was made. 
So instead, they asked the builder to put that money into a bond. Now, that bond has certain requirements, and one of those requirements was that we spend the money within three years um, for a fire facility. It didn't necessarily say it had to be in Rosina Ranch. It didn't even say it needed to be in Rosina Ranch. You could interpret that it could have been anywhere in the district. However, that was the requirement. So when I first became fire chief, we immediately had this discussion with the CEO, McBride, and I asked him about that money and at what point could we start using that money to develop. Uh, he indicated at the time that with uh, everything that was going on, we should wait a bit. COVID happened and um, the rest is kind of history. We are here today. Now, during this whole time period, we were actively looking for spots to build a fire station. At one point, there was a discussion about taking the DeVore station and moving it, and that is no longer the case. That is not going to happen. DeVore is a very important station operationally. We couldn't find land anywhere near Rosina Ranch or Glen Helen. So as we continue to look in county fire's jurisdiction, uh, the, the city of Fontana has offered a couple of times in the past, and, and um, they're helpful today in developing on that north end of Fontana. That's a really important station for us because it dedicates our commitment to the city of Fontana. We receive a lot from them. We wanna make sure that we're a great partner. Chief Birchfield's done a lot to make that reality. So thank you, Chief. We appreciate all your efforts and we know it's been a long time coming. But as it stands today, we are actively looking to spend that money to build a station and staff that station full time. Speaking of staffing, uh, Chief Marshall and I spoke on a video a couple weeks ago about staffing and the rollout plan, what we're going to do with uh, the towers, how we're going to phase in the new fire stations. And I've asked Chief Marshall to come up and give us an update on that staffing plan. Thank you. Well, good afternoon, family. Um, before I get into the staffing part, um, just a couple of other updates. Uh, kind of the hot button topic right now is uh, civil unrest. Of course, the trial of Derek Chauvin just uh, ended. Um, the verdict just came out. Um, so they, they don't believe um, that there's going to be a large civil unrest protest because of that. But um, we stand ready. Um, behind the scenes, of course, we work with the San Bernardino Police Department, San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department, uh, and federal agencies to look at, um, at our threat and risk assessment. So um, we did produce an, uh, uh, or update an older IEP um, for the civil unrest that was ready to roll out. It looks, looks like we're not going to need to do that. Um, behind the scenes, we worked with all the assistant chiefs and um, we were ready to send all of administrative staff home today, um, just depending on the outcome of that trial. So uh, fortunately, we, we're not, doesn't look like we're going to have to do that. We still monitor though. Look, civil unrest can happen at any moment in any place. So um, we have to stay aware, stay alert, and um, stay engaged in those things. So um, that's where we're at. Um, I've had a couple of questions about the uh, auto aid um, or, or, or aid agreement that we have with the city of Victorville. There's, of course, you know, in any new agreement, there's going to be hiccups. Um, and and like, like all other words, there, there was a few hiccups in this one. Um, some, most of them are just communication issues, um, but we'll work through those. Um, and do our part. Um, so if you, if you find those issues, please let us know. Um, one bit of news on the engineers uh, list. Um, uh, the ranking order list will come out this week and probably within the next 24 hours. Um, Chief Washington or Chief Muncie will send that out on exactly how they ranked. We put 16, um, 16 firefighters went to um, the actual selection interviews. Our intent, our leader's intent is to, to 
promote all 16 of those within the next year. We'd love to do it tomorrow, right? But um, that's, not, that's not reality. We have to actually look at this tactically and strategically and, and do it at the right time um, because every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So right now the firefighter rank is probably the percentage-wise that's the most affected by vacancies. Well, we know that the tower is going to start in August. When that tower completes, of course, then that, that percentage will change. Um, and that's more of an appropriate time to promote more of the engineers. We also have the Captain's Academy that's going to be right around that same timing. So January really looks like we'll have some uh, relief to the staffing issues that we're, we're uh, feeling today. Um, we will work with labor management, of course, at our labor next, neighbor, le next labor management meeting. And we'll look at um, tactically moving some uh, promotions of those engineers up uh, sooner. We'll look at some of those specialty positions, things that really need to be fixed in, in, the, uh, in the now instead of in the future. So more will come out on that later. Um, so uh, the academy that starts in August will end in December. And then our intent is to turn right around in January and start another 50-person firefighter academy. So um, we're doing our best. Um, most of this stuff is out of our control. Um, we try and we try, but um, our commitment to you is to get us back to a more normal um, staffing. Um, the last thing I have is um, Station 302. Um, nobody's more frustrated about all of the bureaucracy that happens and slows everything down in the county than all of us here at Fifth Street. Um, Station 302 land acquisition will go to the Board of Supervisors um, next month. And we'll actually have that land. So we're going to be moving forward on that. And, you know, that's in a really in critical piece for us in Division 5, of course. Um, that's that headquarters station. And, and, and I know how bad it is. I worked there many years and, um, in that area. So um, we're looking forward to replacing that, that headquarters station, that pivotal place in the North Desert. So we appreciate uh, Chief Corbin's work on that and with the city. Um, getting us ready to get that land so we can start moving together on a replacement. And that's all I have. Thank you. Chief Marshall, while you're still up there, can you give us the time frame on 302s after it goes to the board next month? How long will it take to break ground? You're asking me a bureaucracy question? I'll let Chief Muncie take that. I'm an ops guy. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that we're doing this July, as Chief Washington has mentioned, is we're, we're hiring a company to go come in and do a facilities plan to literally look at all the facilities and our CIPs. I asked uh, Brian Wells to do that a few years ago in San Bernardino, and he gave us an outstanding product that helped us get an idea of what we need to do in San Bernardino. Now it's time to do it to the entire district. Part of that is going to be identifying all the stations in the district, uh, whether it's 41 in Yucca Valley or 302 in Hesperia. Uh, there's so many of them, but to identify that priority order. And then it's taking the CIP budget that we have now and then programming it in based on the need. I will say this, is 302 is very, very high on that list and the fact that we're purchasing land, uh, we don't want land to sit there for a long time without being developed. It's important that we get that fire station moving. So it'll be a balance of, of things. I would anticipate that if I gave you an answer, um, it might be inaccurate. It could be as soon as a year after purchasing that land. It could be as late as five years. Do I want to see it closer to that year mark? Absolutely. 
but we need to make sure that we have the funding that's, that's necessary to continue to build that facility. Now, there are some opportunities that are, that are coming around. I'm going to put Chief Washington on the spot. Chief, there's some infrastructure replacement dollars that are coming from the federal government. Um, would you feel comfortable talking about that? Now, I know that we're not, uh, we haven't received that money, but there may be some opportunities that we pursue as we're looking at grants. Uh, yes, yeah, so through the, the government's recent, um, you know, the large bill that the federal government passed uh, you know, regarding COVID and also with the state funds that are going on, uh, there is funding that is expected to become available. And as Chief Muncie mentioned, part of that's going to be for infrastructure. And so it could be things like broad, uh, broadband to make sure that even, uh, you know, the communities where Wi-Fi may not be available, uh, there's going to be funding made available for that. Uh, again, just at the state, at the state level, uh, the state budget was looking at a 20, uh, I really want to say it was a billion dollars, but, um, you know, I'm going to go with million, but the number was 20. Uh, 20, 20, $20 million. You know, you did ask me, was I comfortable? And, I, I, and I said, I said, yes. Is it really? I was going to look at my notes here right there. But uh, okay, we'll go with that. $20 billion uh, windfall was how it was described uh, in, in uh, funding. And so there's already plans being uh, made where there's homelessness, again, infrastructure, even uh, some CIPs, uh, just different things that are out there. And some of them, um, you know, I believe we have a great chance at going after some of that funding to make sure we support the needs that we have in county fire. So uh, again, whether it's through the state budget or through the federal budget, uh, we do and anticipate and expect based on the information that's out there now, and it's very credible, uh, that there will be more funding available for us. Chief, we have another question. Let me, let me finish on that one. Sure. So one of the things that we know is that being a fire district, sometimes you're left out of budgets or federal grant opportunities. The CARE Act money, we were blessed that the County of San Bernardino through the county funneled CARE Act money to reimburse us for activities. So we are working with special districts of California to ensure that fire districts receive some CARES Act money and that they are part of the state allocations and the federal dollars that are available for things like federal uh, replacement. I want to thank again Joe Barna and Diane Mendez and Ryan Webb for all their efforts in what they're doing in writing grants to make this district better. It's uh, the three grants that we have for AFG, as you're probably aware, is a new water tender in the North Desert for 270 some odd thousand dollars for USAR and HAZMAT training to continue to grow those, those programs. And then we have a regional grant for radios. The reason why the regional grant is very important to us is that we want to make sure we have common communications. And when you do a regional grant, you're much more likely to succeed in that grant. Uh, in addition, they worked on the SAFER grant. They're also working on an ET3. ET3 is a Medicare term for treatment transport, uh, triage treatment transport, and how that would work for our dispatch center. Um, really what the money would be for is to continue with the ECNS program to continue to build that robust program. I want to thank Lee uh, for Lee Overton for all her work and our nurses for continually giving to the ECNS program. They've been tremendously busy through COVID and now they're they're at the at comm center behind the scenes you don't even see it but as a patient goes through the emergency medical dispatching process the patients that are very low acuity are now being shifted to those nurses that are working with the nurses in a directory of services to ensure that Ms. Smith 
gets the care that she needs uh, when it, maybe she didn't need to call 911. So great job, Lee and your team, we appreciate you. Thank you, Ryan and Joe and Diane, you guys are very important to us and we really appreciate all your efforts. There was a question for Chief Washington. So, uh, Chief Washington, when will all the offices open up permanently and when is all non-suppression returning to work? So, um, I don't know. Uh, I would expect that that's gonna happen at least on Fifth Street, uh, probably as late as June. And so where we are now, and I'm standing by to get some, feed, some uh, feedback, uh, we have not asked for full return re, re, uh, of all staff on 5th. And that is because the parking lot has not been fully opened yet. There is an additional section that, that's been open for about the past uh, month, uh, but it's still not quite enough for us to ask all of the staff here or assigned here to come back to uh, work. Now, there are some offices where there's plenty of parking. And so the discretion has been left with the uh, managers to bring back staff uh, at least part-time, which is two to three days per uh, week, and uh, prepare for a plan to bring them back full-time. And so those discussions are still occurring. You know, we wanna make sure we have an appropriate level of discussions well, between labor and management. And we also wanna make sure that uh, uh, you know, the infrastructure is in a place where there's plexiglass or whatever it might be just to make sure that we have the highest level of safety and reduce the risk of any types of exposures prior to bringing staff back full time. Thank you. Thank you all. That's all the questions that we've received at this time, either through text or through the comments. Uh, we'll give you a minute or two longer. If there's any other questions out there, we'd be happy to answer them. As always, you can text those questions to Tracy. You can email those questions to Tracy. I uh, mentioned before, Tom and I did on a Teams video that we're working on a site that allow questions and answers to be posted um, publicly within the department so we can answer those questions quicker. Again, please let us know what your concerns are, how we can support you better. There's not a whole lot of information that comes up the chain sometimes, yet we're still expected to make great decisions based on what you see every day. Please, uh, please don't let me make 2008 captain decisions. I want to make sure that we're making great 2021 decisions. Any additional questions, Tracy? No, sir. Okay. Thank you all for joining us today. Have a great afternoon. This has been County Fire Insight for Tuesday, April 20th, 2021.